Good stuff. <clears throat> Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles tonight and turn over to the book of Titus. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I had my glasses on. I was trying to figure out why I couldn't read it. Now I know why. I had them on. Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the first 10 verses of Titus chapter 2. <clears throat> Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, in patience. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. It's good to know that you're not given to much wine, ladies. <clears throat> that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Young men, likewise, exhort to be sober-minded. 
In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works and doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech that cannot be condemned. He that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not answering again, not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. We're going to stop right there for right now. Notice that verse 10. <clears throat> it says, Not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That they may adorn the doctrine of God. It's interesting that <clears throat> in this particular passage, he's exhorting servants to be obedient to their own masters and to please them well in all things, not answering again. And then he turns right around and says that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. That aspect or that statement, the doctrine of God, adorning the doctrine of God, is obviously an extremely practical thing. I mean, as we read through the passage in chapter 2, there's a number of very specific responses or actions that believers ought to, uh, to, to be a part of or take part in. Uh, we're, we're very, it's very clear that, I mean, the aged women are to obviously maintain their behaviors, become with holiness, uh, not false accusers. Uh, all of these things that we're teaching the younger women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Notice all these things, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, the word of God be not blasphemed, young men. He's dealing with all these different groups that are part or make up the local church. And then ultimately he addresses this issue of adorning the doctrine of God. And, and so, you know, when we start thinking about doctrine, sometimes we get kind of, uh, <clears throat> like a deer in the headlights, you know, all oh, this, this doctrine of the Bible, it's so deep, it's so, so difficult, it's so hard to, to, put our, to wrap our minds around and to, to grab hold of. But what, what's really being said here is that doctrine is something that's very practical. It, it reveals itself or it shows itself. It, it, it looks like something. It doesn't just sound like something. Oh, let, get your doctrine straight. No, what it's saying is get your life right. Get things going the way God intends it to go. Obey God's word. Be very clear on how you should live and how you should act. It's very practical. It's not abstract. It's concrete. And so this adorning, the word adorning means to display the beauty or excellent of, excellence of. Um, it also has the thought of arranging or to set in order, to place in its rightful place. Now I want you to take your Bible and look over the book of Isaiah 61 verse 10. So from our passage, we notice that there are some things that belong in the believer's life. And, and they, it, it appears that those things belonging in the believer's life are the, part of the adorning of the doctrine of God. That's, that's the adorning of the doctrine of God. Now, watch, watch this passage in Isaiah 61.10. <clears throat> the Bible says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord... My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, 
and as a bride adorneth herself with her jewels. Now notice how the word, uh, this, notice this aspect here, salvation is pictured as a garment. It's as though you, we have a bride and she's clothed with a beautiful garment. But on the other hand, she is adorned with her jewels. So what we see is that she's in her dress, but then she's adorned with a number of accessories. One might say, well, she's clothed in that beautiful garment. She's adorned with an array of earrings, necklaces, bracelets, and other objects that highlight or accentuate the beauty of that dress and of herself. So the adorning isn't the, the salvation. The adorning is what accentuates the salvation. The adorning is what makes the salvation appealing and more beautiful to a world that is lost, dying, and going to hell. <clears throat> Paul says to Titus, I want you to tell those Christians to set some things in order. They need to wear the truth. They can't simply know the truth. They have to walk in truth. And Crete will not be reached by those calling themselves Christians. It will only be reached by those who adorn the doctrine of God, those who display the beauty of the gospel. They need to set some things in order, mainly their lives, mainly their testimonies. They can't allow the world to consume their thoughts and their time because in so doing, souls are going to be lost forever. And the fact is, is that you and I will never reach a world that's bound in the chains of sin, blinded by the darkness of this world, by talking about our Christianity, simply talking about what we should be doing and knowing what we ought to be doing. No, we need to be displaying it and demonstrating it daily in our lives. We need to be adorning the doctrine of God, not just saying, I'm saved. Well, that's a good thing, and that's awesome, but... What else goes along with that? I mean, what's really accentuating that salvation? What's making it glow before the world that's in darkness? What makes it stand out? And what makes them say, I want what they have? In all things, we need to adorn or display the beauty of the doctrine of God. And basically what we're saying is that the world may never read this particular book right here. But what we're saying is that they can see its results in our lives. We claim to believe it. Do they see it lived in our life? And that's the adorning aspect of it. Now again, verse 10 talks about the doctrine of God. Again, it says not purloining, but shewing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. Jesus in, chapter, in John chapter 7, verse 16 said, My doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. My doctrine is not mine, but His that sent me. Now, Doctrine is a body of truth. And this body of truth, according to both 
to, to John chapter 7, verse 16, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, is God's truth. That truth is God's. So that means that that truth is not our parents' truth. It's not our pastor's truth. It's not our church's truth. Someone says, I hate their rules. I hate my parents' rules. I can't stand them telling me what to do. No, you hate God's rules and you hate Him telling you what to do. I don't like that church's rules. Well, what rules? You mean like the ones where it talks about separation and holiness? Wait, last I checked, those aren't our rules. They're His rules. He's the one that writes the doctrine. It's His doctrine. It's His truth. It's not my truth. I don't get to determine what is right and what is wrong. He does. It's His doctrine, His truth. Hey, listen, don't blame your parents because you don't, you don't want to do right. Don't blame your parents. They only want you to adorn the doctrines of God. They only want to keep you safe. They only want to help you along life's journey. They want you to wear God's truth, and they want you to wear it in an orderly fashion. Even as the apostle instructs the Cretans to arrange, to set in order, to place God and His truths in their rightful place, so we need to do the same thing this evening in order to please our Master and to reach our loved ones, our family, friends, with salvation. It's just the way it is. We are not effectively going to reach the world we live in or those especially closest to us if we are not adorning the doctrine of God. Oh, you may be wearing a garment of salvation. You may already be robed in righteousness. But unless you are adorning the doctrine of God, the world cannot see the beauty of salvation. What truths do we need to display before the world that will compel others to come to Christ and ultimately impact our generation for the Lord? Because that's basically what we're talking about, adorning the doctrine of God. <clears throat> I mean, what must we adorn? What do we need to be wearing, accessorizing, if you will, that will convince the gainsayer and the God-haters that God's not only real, but He's worth serving? Turn, if you would, to Second Peter chapter 1. We're just going to look at just a couple brief passages here over the next few minutes. And one of them, I, I believe, is, is you'll find very familiar, mind you, uh, in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 7. <clears throat> We're giving a list of some things, characteristics and qualities that are so essential and so important to the believer. Now, these are things that we're going to add to our faith. Sound familiar? We're going to adorn the doctrine of God in our life. We're not talking about showing our salvation off in the sense of salvation itself. We're talking about qualities and characteristics that adorn the doctrine, that, that are the adorning. We place them on the garments of salvation. We wear them outside the garment, so to speak, so that it draws people to it. Just like a beautiful set of earrings, just like a, a fine necklace on a, a, a bride. 
it, the adorn the, 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 the wedding gown is lovely, but those things just set it off. Those just make it pop. And the adorning of the doctrine of God makes salvation pop in the eyes of the world. <clears throat> now, watch what it says here. And besides this, beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. So we already have established, if we go back earlier in the chapter, we know that faith has been established. We understand that everyone's able to acquire it, that it's the same for every single person. It's grace through faith. It's not works, obviously. We noted that. So now the robe of of righteousness, this garment of salvation is ours. But the Bible goes on to say, now add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. We said that virtue was the pursuit of Christ-likeness. It was a moral excellence. We noted knowledge, again, of the person of Christ, the work and the ways of the Lord Jesus. We're adding some things to this faith. We, yes, we, we already have the garment of salvation, but now we're going to add some things to it. Why? Because ultimately, as we add those things to our, our, to our salvation, to our faith, then all of a sudden it makes it, our faith more appealing to the world in which we live. <clears throat> we see here temperance, that self-control or that ability to deny self, to say no to oneself. That's an inward victory, being able to, to control the passions that we have in our life. Uh, those, the lusts of our lives. We can say no to ourselves. I mean, we have this aspect of adding patience, the ability to remain faithful in the midst of an enduring trial, tribulation, circumstance, or situation. We're able to do that because we know God is faithful to every single one of His promises. And when we know God to be a person who is, will keep His word, we know He's a God who, who has a plan and is working that plan, then we are able to be patient. So we have the inward victory. We have an exterior victory. And then we are to add to patience godliness. Godliness, we said and had expressed, was a person that is courageous to stand for Christ and against evil. It's unaccepting of sin in their life and, and of the, uh, in their surrounding and in their environment. That they're, they're courageous. They, they have the courage to stand, to, to, make their, uh, to, to take a stand on behalf of God. See, the godly man is not just, as we said, being good, but doing good. <clears throat> and then brotherly kindness. Obviously, brotherly kindness points to that family-type setting, a brother, so to speak. So it points to that affection that we feel toward one another, those that we share something in common with. Guess what? We share salvation in common. We share the fact that we're on our way to heaven. We share the fact that we have a home in heaven reserved for us. We share the fact that we're all indwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. We have so many aspects that we share uh, in common as believers. And we're to show brotherly kindness to one another as a result of that commonality. We're not to see the differences in one another. We're to remind ourselves of the common ground that we have. And then, of course, he says, to that you add charity. And, of course, one would say, well, that's love. And it is. However, this charity is, is imitating God's mindset. This scriptural, sacrificial attitude that says, I'm going to meet the needs of others. People I have no contact with, I know nothing about. It's not that there's a, a, something in common. As a matter of fact, if anything, there's, something, there's nothing in common but I'm still going to express love and I'm still going to sacrifice on their behalf 
I'm going to love on purpose with a purpose like Jesus did. And so we see in 2 Peter 1, adding to our faith. We see elements of the adorning of the doctrine of God here. And all it does is make salvation more appealing to the world. They see us responding correctly to one another. They recognize us uh, living our lives out for a world that deserves nothing in return. And yet we, like Christ, give ourselves to them. We meet needs. We provide. We do all that we can to be a blessing to those who possibly, in in most cases, would do nothing for the other person. But we do it for them. Because for Christ's sake, they watch us control our our passions and they see us controlling our attitudes and they they watch us control our tongues and our our speech and our, our actions and they say, wow, there's something different about them. There's something unique about them. And we talk about our salvation, but now we have adorned the doctrine of God. And they say, wow, there's something about that salvation that's extremely sweet. There's something about that salvation that stands out. There's something unique and different about that person because they're adorning the doctrine of God. <clears throat> How do these, just some of those aspects that we just talked about, Temperance and virtue, patience, godliness, brotherly kindness, charity. How do they look to the world? How will they translate in a very practical sense? Well, how about some of these words? Let me throw some of these words out at you. The believer adorns the doctrine of God when they are, uh, when they are dealing honestly. <clears throat> uh, dealing with, you know, integrity, character, consistency, compassion, love, joy, peace, purity, purpose, power, Faithfulness, fruitfulness, righteousness, holiness, godliness. That's how it looks to the world. The world sees us and says they're an honest man. She's an honest woman. They're men and women of character. They have some integrity. Their word is their bond. They have compassion for people. They love one another and they love other people as well. There's a smile on their face. There's Joy on their, there's joy in their heart and, and, and they're, they're, there's something about them. They're always on top side. And if tragedy strikes, they're not down long because they're always rejoicing about something. They have power. They don't allow the problems of life to overwhelm them and overcome them like we do. They have hope. We don't have that. How can you still look positively on this world and continue to move forward with hope when you see everything going on around you that I see? But that's the adorning. It's the adorning. The moment a man or a woman comes to Christ, they are to continue in doctrine. We see that. Look in Acts chapter 2, verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. If we are not careful, we can... um, We can make this much more complicated than it is. And, And sometimes we'd like to. 
Because, you know, him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him, it's sin. But as long as I'm still like, wow, doctrine's so deep, man, that's really deep. I, you know, I, I do my portion. I try to do my best. But, man, I'll tell you what, doctrine, that's really, confu- that's really confusing stuff. Oh, you mean like dressing right and living right and acting right and talking right and thinking right? Well, no, I, 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 there are some things I probably sh- There's doctrine. It's all rooted in doctrine. Every one of those things is doctrine. <clears throat> Notice, doctrine's important, and from the moment you're saved, it's important. Acts 2, 41 and 42, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. You know, we're talking about dads this morning. I wonder how many of our children are, how many of our children are uh, continuing steadfastly in our doctrine. That's important to us, isn't it? And someone says, "I want them to follow God's doctrine." Well, I hope you are following God's doctrine, so you've embraced it as your own, and I want my children to embrace it as their own. But I want my kids to follow in my footsteps and I want to leave a legacy for them and I want to leave some, some landmarks there and I want them to follow in those paths and I want them to follow in my doctrine. Someone says, well, I, the apostles had their own doctrine and then there's the doctrine of God. No, they were just following God's doctrine. Took ownership of it. We need to take ownership. <clears throat> Notice again, he goes on to say, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. We never get to the place in our Christian life where we don't need to learn doctrine and live doctrine. You never get to that place. It's a constant process. We grow continually. Just like we learn over in the book of Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, when the Bible tells us, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it till the day of Jesus Christ. The work has begun, but it will be performed throughout your lifetime. Until Jesus returns, it will be continually working. He'll be working on you, and you'll be working on it. So that means that this body of doctrine, or truth, right here it is. It's not complicated. It's here. And, and again, I, I know, well, I don't understand that book that, that well. Okay, that's fine. That, that, I understand that. But this is where you find doctrine. Yeah. This is where truth lies. It, listen, can I tell you something? This is, a, this is a big pile of wood right here. This pulpit's a pile of wood. There's no doctrine in this wood. This is the doctrine. This doctrine may sit on this wood. But listen, you can stare at that pulpit all day long and not get a lick of this. And you could listen, and you could possibly listen to my voice all day long and not get a lick of this. This is where you find true doctrine. This is where it is. Now, as we proclaim the truth, then we are proclaiming doctrine. Doctrine is extremely practical. It's extremely practical. Again, we try to complicate. We try to act like well, there's those, all those uh, standards the church has, and then there's what the Bible teaches. You know? Isn't that really how it works? You know, we kind of try to separate that some, because that's their opinion. Was well, it rooted in doctrine? 
If it's rooted in doctrine, it's not their standard. It's His. Do you get where I'm going with this? And we're to adorn that. We're to put it on. We're to wear it. I mean, just because it comes from the pastor doesn't mean you, you have to be skeptical of everything and go, well, he said it, so that's a man saying it, so I don't have to do it. Well, you better double-check where he got it from. You might want to take a little bit of time and read it yourself. You're going to be responsible for it. And by the way, your loved ones, family, and friends are all depending on you to adorn the doctrine of God, not just wear a garment of salvation. They're not going to go to heaven because you're saved. They need to see something in you that says, I want what you have. So we need to decorate or make salvation beautiful by adorning the doctrine of God. <clears throat> we need to live the Christian life and make God's, uh, God and salvation and the things of God appealing to the world that is lost and without Him. Now, it, it is this simple. <clears throat> wow, you really crushed those down, brother. It is honestly this simple. Here we go. I'm just going to... What am I? I'm a captain, right, of a ship or something, right? Or normally the kids would know me as Captain Obvious. Okay, now there you go. Now what, wait a second. You know, you, know how you, you know how you knew that? Something I was wearing. Made it very clear. And that's, that's not even, I'm not even dressed in the garment. I'm just throwing on an accessory. And the accessory itself told you more about me than you would have ever known just by looking at me, you could tell some things. What about something like this, maybe? Now, again, I could get probably a couple different answers here because this is kind of a dumb hat. It's not, it should be about another four inches higher, taller. Okay? A top hat, yes. But who would wear a top hat? Huh? Dean, you said? He would. He would, wouldn't you, Dean? Well, a magician would wear one of these, right? Now, again, I know this one's a bad one because it's too short, but it's the best I could find for my character. How about this one? Cowboy, that's right. We had a cowboy at Vacation Bible School, Cody the Cowboy. Oh, let's see. You guys gave me this before I went somewhere this last year. What do you think? A Mexican hat, right? Whoa. That tells you something about me. Now, wait a second. I, I just adorned a few things. And from that adorning, you could tell things about me. Uh, you know what? That's how important the adorning of the doctrine of God is in our life. I mean, we can walk around all day long and the world's going, I know nothing about salvation. They don't recognize the salvation. They don't see it. You just walk down the street and they don't go, saved. That's not how it works. See, that robe of righteousness really isn't a literal robe, so therefore it's not recognizable from the outside. Let me tell you something. Those accessories are. That adorning is. That's why it's so important that we dress right and that we talk right and that we live right and that we do right. That's why it's important because the world can't see your heart and it can't see the, adorning, uh, the, the garment. It only sees the adorning. <laughs> Some says, I don't agree with that. I think, I don't, I don't agree with this, and I don't agree with that. Well, that's fine. Don't agree with it. 
But do it anyway because you've got to understand something. Your lost family and friends are not going to go to heaven because you look and act just like them. There's not one thing appealing about that salvation. That doesn't appeal. No, you're in the same boat. Go ahead and be angry about whatever you want to be angry about, upset about whatever you want. I'll let God worry about that. But let me tell you, if you're concerned about your family and friends, you better live differently, act differently, talk differently, and adorn the doctrine of God. You better find out what God expects of you and start living it because you will not win your family and friends or this community or this world for Christ looking, acting, and being just like them. It won't happen. Who cares if God knows your heart? If your concern is a loved one or a family member that's going to die and go to hell, I don't care how much God knows that you're saved and how much you say you love God. If they don't see the adorning, they're doomed. So we better figure out what's going on. And that's exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Crete about. He's saying, listen... Those Cretans have got to adorn the doctrine. They've got to set some things in order. They've got to focus on their testimony. They've got to allow God, me, to do something in their life that visibly says they're saved and there's something unique, different about them. They've got to make my salvation look beautiful. Adorn the doctrine of God. As I prepare to close, look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. As we look at the Bible from time to time, God throws in some characteristics and qualities that every believer ought to embrace and ultimately exhibit. And here's one of those passages. These things, I believe, are the adorning of the doctrine of God because they make our salvation visible to a world that's lost. Look what happens here in Colossians 3.12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another, If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Those are all practical things that people see in our lives. Doctrine is not secretive. Doctrine is not just something that you read in a book and write on a piece of paper. Doctrine is something you live practically every day of your life that draws men and women to Christ, that helps them to see that garment of salvation and how lovely and beautiful it is. Let me ask you a question. If tonight... I had, well, let's say tonight you have a need in your life. And your need is for $50 to fill your gas tank up, which it shouldn't cost that much now unless you've got two tanks. But say you needed $50 to fill your tank up with gas, or you were going to just, driving home, you'd just 
have to park the car on the side of the road because you'd be running out. And right on the inside of my pocket is $1,000 in cash. Now, you would never, ever, ever dream that I had $1,000 in cash on me. You'd never dream. And if you're listening, live stream, I don't. So don't catch me after the service somewhere. I do not have $1,000 cash on me. You never know who's listening. And I may not know who's listening in the auditorium today. But anyway, here's the thing. So $1,000 cash. Now, here's what I want you to understand. You would never see me or look at me then and say, wow, he could meet my need. Because you'd never even dream I had that $1,000 on me. So you'd never ask. You'd never imply it. You wouldn't even ask me to pray about it. Hold on. We hide our salvation inside. We walk through life. And unless they can actually see what they need, on the outside, they're never going to think you have the solution. They're never going to go, hey, I I have a need. What, salvation? Man, I'm glad you noticed. Praise the Lord. No, you have to exhibit it in your life. You have to adorn the doctrine of God. You have to put on some things, as he says in Colossians chapter 3. Listen, as they look at your life and they see here bowels of mercies. Let's just be honest. 50, what, 50, how many people eventually died in that shooting out there? 49, is that what they said? 49 lives were lost. Let me ask you a question. How much compassion did you have on them? You know how sad it would be for a believer in Christ to say they got what they deserved? That would be pitiful, my friend, when you deserve what you deserve. Now, all I'm saying, listen, I'm bringing it up because he talks about bowels of mercies and kindness. Do you know that the world sees that in us? And that makes Christ and that makes salvation appealing to the world. This doesn't make salvation appealing to the world. You got what you deserved. Good for you. That doesn't make my God look good. That doesn't make my salvation seem appealing. All I'm saying is we need to think about adorning the doctrine of God. This is doctrine we're dealing with here. This is doctrine. And... and we see forbearing one another, putting up with one another. How well you do that? How, how well are you at that? I mean, he says, forgiving one another. Man, I mean, churches are notorious for being unforgiving. And yet that's what they want to talk about all the time. God is such a loving, forgiving God. But the people can't even forgive one another. How pitiful is this? And yet we'll talk about winning the world for Christ. We'll talk about making an impact in our families. We're making no impact if we're not adorning the doctrine of God. We've got to adorn it. We've got to put some things on here. You ever have a quarrel with a believer in Christ? You ever have a problem with it? You've got to settle it. You've got to deal with it. You've got to forgive like Christ forgave you. I'm waiting for them to forgive me. I'm waiting for them to confess. 
You're gonna, you might wait a lifetime, friend. Just forgive them. Forgive them. That's what the Bible says. That's doctrine. That's doctrine. And you know what that does? That makes salvation look really sweet to an unbeliever. It makes God much more appealing when he said, man, God can help a person forgive when that other didn't even deserve it. That's, a, that's powerful, friend. That's powerful. So, the adorning. We need to adorn the doctrine of God. I, I just want to close with this illustration but, or story, really. But in 1904, and, and some of you have heard it. I've told it before. I just love this testimony of this man. But in 1904, William Borden graduated from the Chicago High School. As heir to the Borden Dairy Estate, he was already worth a million dollars when he graduated. For his high school graduation present, his parents sent him on a trip around the world. It, it, it makes that red letter edition Bible seem pretty small right now, doesn't it, guys? It shouldn't. Thomas Kraft said the word of God that he bought when he was just a kid was the most valued possession he ever had in his entire life. The guy that started Kraft Cheese. That's interesting, isn't it? But anyway, so they sent him on a trip around the world. As the young fellow traveled through Asia and the Middle East, through Europe, he began to develop a tremendous burden for the world and the people that were hurting in it. Finally, Bill Borden wrote home about his desire to be a missionary. One of his friends expressed surprise, and he said that Bill was throwing, a, uh, throwing himself away as a missionary, wasting his life. He's going to waste his life. In response, William wrote two words in the back of his Bible, no reserves, no reserves. Even though he was young, even though he was extremely wealthy, he arrived on the campus of Yale University in 1905, and he tried to look just like any normal freshman at the time. But it wasn't very long that his classmates noticed something very unusual about him, and it wasn't the money that he possessed either. One of them wrote, quote, He came to college far ahead spiritually of any of us. He had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. <laughs> Do you know how much... That is good right there, by the way. I'm going to read that again because that's just wonderful. He said, he had already given his heart in full surrender to Christ and had really done it. Wow, is that good right there. He goes on to say, we who were his classmates learned to lean on him and find him in him a strength that was solid as a rock just because of his settled purpose and consecration. Well, while at Yale... This millionaire turned missionary started a Bible study. In Borden's small morning prayer group of four eventually grew and gave birth to a movement that would spread across the campus. By the end of his first year, there were 150 freshmen that were meeting for weekly Bible study and prayer. By the time Bill uh, William Borden was a senior in college, 1,000 of Yale's 1,300 students were meeting in the same kind of groups. Borden also actively sought the lost, and he tried to win them to Jesus Christ. One of the young men that was with him said, quote, Borden's outreach ministry was not confined to the Yale campus. 
He cared about widows and orphans and cripples. He rescued drunks from the streets of New Haven. To rehabilitate them, he founded the Yale Hope Mission. One of his friends wrote that he, quote, might often be found in the lower parts of the city at night, on the street, in a cheap lodging house or some restaurant to which he had taken a poor, hungry fellow to feed him, seeking to lead men to Christ. <laughs> and that's not. We buy a new car and we don't even want to bring kids to VBS because we're afraid we'll build dirty the seats. You say, who did that, preacher? No one that I know of. I just thought I'd throw that in for good measure. <laughs> okay. Upon graduation from Yale, Borden turned down some high-paying job offers. You can only imagine he would have gotten some. In his Bible, he wrote these words now. Two more words. No retreats. No retreats. William went on to, graduate, uh, to his graduate work at Princeton Seminary in New Jersey. And when he finished his studies at Princeton, he sailed for China, so excited about the work of God and the ministry. He was hoping to work with Muslims, and so he stopped in Egypt to study Arabic. While there, he contracted spinal meningitis. Within a month, 25-year-old William Borden was dead. When news of William Borden's death was cabled back to the United States, the story was carried by nearly every American newspaper. A wave of sorrow went around the world, and Borden not only gave away his wealth, but himself. In a way so joyous and natural that it seemed a privilege rather than a sacrifice, wrote Mary Taylor in her introductory to his biography. So the question was, was Borden's untimely death a waste? <laughs> not in God's plan, not in God's eyes. Prior to his death, Borden had written two more words in his Bible. Underneath the words, no reserves and no retreats, he had written, no regrets. See, William Borden had made up his mind to adorn the doctrines of God to adorn the doctrine of God. He had chosen to surrender his all to the Master. He was determined to let his light shine. Matthew 5.16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Titus 2.10 says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Paul was telling Cretans to set some things in order. You got to wear the truth, he says. You can't simply know the truth, you got to walk in truth. And Crete will never be reached by those simply calling themselves Christians. It will only be reached or be saved by those adorning the doctrine of God, those displaying the beauty of the gospel. So get some things in order, Cretans. Mainly your life and your testimony. Don't allow the world to consume your thoughts or your time. Because if it does, 
souls will be lost forever. God, help us to adorn the doctrine of God. Not just simply wear the garment of salvation that cannot be seen by a world with fleshly eyes, but to adorn the doctrine of God so that they can see the beauty of the salvation God's given us. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for, Father, just the privilege that we have to dig into your word and to be 